Hi there, and welcome to the podcast. In today's episode, we're joined by Sean, owner of Breakthrough Bootcamp, and he's going to give some uh, fantastic insight on terms of nutrition tips, how to simplify it, and going to give you the right steps going forward, really how to master your fitness and health goals. Sean, thanks for coming on. How are you doing today, sir? Not too shabby, not too shabby. Glad to be on. Thanks. All right. So let's basically jump right into it. So, well, first off, let's say, let's uh, tell everyone like, who you are, what you specialize in. Let's say I'm Joe Smith. I'm not sure who Sean Blakerk is. What do you do? What do you specialize in? And what's the main thing you want to, what's the main thing you do to help people achieve their goals? Well, like you said, I guess my main job is uh, owner of Breakthrough Bootcamp in Mississauga. But if talking in terms of uh, what I specialize in, mostly body transformation, behavioral change, and just using basic principles and being able to uh, simplify them, take that overwhelm of fitness and nutrition away and try to help clients uh, reach their goals from there. Yeah, that's pretty much what I agree with you. That's one thing I uh, find you have a really unique skill and is really to simplify nutri- uh, nutrition for people. That way I don't really feel overwhelmed and they kind of leave that meaning feel like I know what to do and it's just pretty easy to kind of go in that direction. So lead to that, I'm going to ask you the first question. Let's say uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of play a little scenario right here. Let's say I'm someone who, uh, you know, they start, I'm starting my fat, and lo- uh, fat loss journey. Uh, I've done it for a month or two, or I'm just someone brand new. What, would, what advice would you give them in terms of step one, in terms of how to reach their goal? So they're, they're, they're not either reaching their goal or they're just starting out. What would be some step number one advice you would tell that person to reach their health and fitness goal? Sure. Well, first, I guess the disclaimer I should use is I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't call myself a nutrition expert. I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian or anything like that, but um, like you said, I'm able to use kind of basic principles and simplify it that way. So I don't want to give off the wrong impression right away. Uh, what I will say is the first step, especially based off that example, the first thing that I would do is educate. I think probably the biggest mistake that coaches make in general coaches and trainers is we tend to forget that not everyone has the same type of information that we have. So when we talk to clients, we tend to talk in a way that there is this presumptive understanding that they understand all of the nuance and uh, complexity that is involved with everything. So for example, if I start saying how much I enjoy intermittent fasting, I'm able to look at intermittent fasting as a tool in this much broader network of fitness and nutrition. But when I say that, what it sounds like to the average person is that it's not necessarily a tool, but it is the entire key to success. So if they hear a trainer say, oh, intermittent fasting is good, they assume that intermittent fasting or any example is the only thing that matters. And I think coaches in general do a, I wouldn't say a poor job, but we tend to forget where we started when we didn't really know all this stuff as well. So the first thing I would do is educate. In that specific example that you're using, you talk about this person is trying to lose fat. They're feeling overwhelmed. So what I'd want to do is I'd want to get to what is the most important thing? What is that linchpin? What's the one thing that if everything else falls apart, what is the one thing that they need to do in order to reach their goal of losing fat? And the first thing that I would start off with is talking about calories and energy balance and more specifically getting into a calorie deficit. Now, a lot of people already understand what that is, but I think trainers, we don't realize that there are a lot of people that don't know what that is. So if you don't know what that is and you start talking about different strategies, without the understanding that it all comes down to being into a calorie deficit, like a lot of people don't realize that you can still eat really, really healthy and gain weight if you're eating in a calorie surplus. So the first thing I would do is make sure 
that people understand what a calorie deficit is. And in order to reach their goal of losing fat, they need to be in a calorie deficit. And it's that simple. There's a lot of things that, um, it's a simple equation, but it's, there's a lot of complex processes that go on behind that. So if, um, if they're trying to get into that calorie deficit and months or years later, they haven't dropped any weight, at the end of the day, it's because they are not in a calorie deficit. It's not necessarily the fasting that didn't work or the keto that didn't work or the strategy that they are kind of swearing by that didn't work. It's just that energy balance overall wasn't there. And then once they understand that, you go from there and you can get to, uh, get to that next point. Because at the end of the day, what people want is they want easy and they want clear. And I think trainers, we're really good at giving one or the other. We try to communicate maybe at a higher level than people are at to begin with, or we just do the easy route. And we defer to templates of meal plans and stuff like that where it's really easy, but it's not clear. So giving someone a meal plan, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not clear. At the end of the day, it would be like going on a vacation and you're going with all your friends. You guys all speak the same language, but the country that you're at, everyone speaks a different language and you hang out with your friends for the entire trip until you get lost and you get lost one time and you need to ask people for directions, but you don't speak that language. So when you're using a meal plan, you have a very tightly restricted box of rules that you operate under and there's nothing wrong with that. But what happens when you are going out on a Saturday night with your friends and um, they're going out for some drinks or some food. And if you don't really understand, or at least have a baseline level of knowledge with nutrition, it's easy to get off track. So the first thing I would do always is educate, choose the one thing that is the linchpin, that is the most important thing for their goal, and then go from there. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And that kind of leads me to the next point, because I've seen you take this approach to clients uh, many times. I think it's a fantastic way. And that's quantitative goals. So I know you, um, you always kind of tell uh, clients that come to you, pick a few things you know you can improve on and what are some quantifiable, goal, quantifiable goals you can do to, uh, to reach that goal. So do you want to talk about how important those quantifiable goals are and how many quantifiable goals should the client roughly have? Yeah, so quantitative goals are uh, pretty important. This is an, We can do an entire podcast on this, really. So I think the problem with a lot of people is they set qualitative goals that are kind of vague or ambiguous. So saying something like, I want to get more fit or I want to start eating healthy. That's vague. It does, there's, no, there's no context to that. There's no objective measures. So having quantitative goals is being able to objectify and put something down that is not up for interpretation, but something that you can measure. So the first thing that you want to do is you want to set one, which the goals itself. So if you're like the first example you use, if you want to lose fat, how much fat exactly do you want to lose? How much weight? Make it specific, write it down. Once you have that, the next step is by when do you want to achieve that goal? Have a timeline as well. It's easy to get off track if you don't have a specific timeline. Again, having that timeline is objective. It's quantitative. And then the third thing and the most important thing is what are the actionable steps? What are the things that you need to do in order to reach those goals? And this is where people tend to be way more subjective than they should. This is where people say, well, I need to start eating healthier. It's like, okay, what does that mean? I need to start eating more veggies. Okay, exactly how many veggies or how often should you be eating veggies? And it's just about finding, like you said, one, two, three different things that you can stick to that is quantifiable. So it really depends on the person. And you're going to hear me say that a lot throughout this entire podcast because there is no one size fits all. But one of the first questions I'll ask is, if someone's trying to lose weight, I'll ask them, what are three things that you're doing right now 
that you know is not conducive to your goals? Or conversely, what are, some, what are three things that you're not doing right now that you should be doing? And people are pretty easy and they're able to find quite a few things that they know they should or shouldn't be doing. And then the next question is, okay, what can you do about that? Not only what can you do about that, but realistically, without totally overwhelming your lifestyle, what can you do? What are some goals that we can set? So if someone says that the problem is they're eating takeout four or five times a week. Now, for some people, it might be as simple as just saying, okay, I'm not going to eat takeout anymore. But realistically, if that's a big part of your lifestyle, you might want to just moderate, not necessarily eliminate. So you might say, okay, I'm going to limit it to one time per week. That would be one thing right there. And it seems like it's something so small, but those things add up over time. Uh, another issue is if you're not getting enough vegetables, something as simple as saying, okay, I'm going to have a serving of vegetables with every single meal. It's something that simple and it gives you flexibility too. It's not like you're saying I'm having spinach with every meal. It can be so many different options. And then that way you have these objective goals, but also the actionable steps, which are the most important things to do. And then once you have those things, you have the timeline, you have the goal, the goal is there, but if you do all the actionable steps, you might not get exactly where you want to be, but you're more likely to get at least closer to that level. Yeah. And my apologies to the audience. Uh, quantitative is what I meant to say, mix up the word there. But um, yeah, that's very well said. And I just I like that it's, uh, uh, you know, it's not really the gray area. It's black and white. So it's basically like, did you reach those quantitative goals? Are they yes or no? So like, for example, did you have your, did you have veggies or uh, every single meal? That's your quantitative goal. It's either yes or no. It's not like a gray area. And that's why I really like the quantitative goals. It's just, there's no gray in between. It's very black and white. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's say, moving forward now, um, let's say I'm someone, I don't know really how to track calories, I'm pretty bad at it, I know we're going to create a caloric deficit, um, would you recommend everyone, should, should they track their calories if um, they're not necessarily a huge fan of it, or just on the quantitative goals alone, is that a good enough store, start? So what would, you, what would you kind of recommend in terms of uh, calorie tracking? They certainly can, and I think it's probably the most effective strategy. Uh, that being said, not if, like, if you don't enjoy it, like the example you said, you don't have to do it. Like we talked about originally, the most important thing is getting into that calorie deficit. Now, one of the easiest ways to do that is to count your calories and to count your macros because everything is, uh, like we talked about before, it's quantitative, it's objective, it's there. Even if you don't succeed, you have very valuable data that you're able to at least adjust and kind of go from there. So you get that trial and error and it's really valuable. So uh, it's just one of many different options that you can use to get into that calorie deficit. So uh, while you certainly don't have to, it's not like it's a prerequisite, I do encourage those who have never tried it before to at least try it. Because not only is it really effective, but it's almost like getting a master class in nutrition. You're going to learn more about nutrition, food, and uh, serving sizes by tracking your calories and your macros than by taking any other nutrition course. And it's so simple nowadays. There's free apps. You can use MyFitnessPal. You don't have to do it forever. You'll notice that if you do it for long enough, these numbers are going to start to become intuitive and you know without even tracking where you're at and if you're able to count calories and macros effectively, it's, it's like a cheat code because you understand what works for your body, what allows you to get into that calorie deficit and you're able to kind of repeat that over and over again just by switching up some of the numbers. So with that being said, it's a very effective tool, but it's not the only tool and I'd say most of my clients would prefer not to use that and are still able to get really, really good results. So if that's something that you don't enjoy doing or you don't want to do it, you certainly don't have to. And there's many other uh, options that you can go for, this, for there as well. 
Yep, I think that's very well said. And just kind of building off the calorie tracking, let's say I'm someone now, I want to track my calories. Uh, what would be a good formula? For example, let's say a 150 pound uh, woman is trying to lose uh, 20 pounds. Like how many calories should they be eating roughly per day or per week? How would you kind of give a recommendation there and how would you really structure that? So there's a lot of really complex equations that you can find online and these are great, uh, but you can also keep it really simple. First, what hap what's going to happen is if you use an app like MyFitnessPal, they're going to give you all of that stuff for you. So you're going to tell you what your tell them what your weight is, what your goals are. They're going to give you your calories and your macros. Personally, I don't like the numbers that they use. I just think they're a little aggressive personally. Uh, so the general rule of thumb that I like to use when it comes to calories and macros is, and this is only for those who have, even if you have tried it before, but in, for like, I'd say 90 to 95% of people, this works pretty well. It's multiply your body weight times 10. So if you're 150 pounds, you want to times that by 10 to get your caloric intake, 1500. And that's the number that you reach for if your goal is fat loss. For most people, that's going to put you in a caloric deficit. Of course, there are going to be exceptions. But like we talked about earlier, the one great thing about counting your macros and your calories is that even if it doesn't work, you have data, you have feedback, you can adjust from there. So it's a great starting point to use your body weight, multiply it by 10 for calories. And that's your calories that you're aiming for to lose weight. As far as macros are concerned, I like to keep it really simple. The only macro that I like to track is protein. I think when it comes to fat loss, there's a hierarchy of things that are important in order to reach that fat loss goal. The most important thing was the thing we talked about right away. I'm going to say it a million times. It's that caloric deficit. Most important thing is the only thing that needs to happen in order to lose weight. The second thing, in my opinion, would be protein intake. Protein intake is really important because it's going to help you feel full for long. It's going to have what we call a thermic effect of feeding, which means it's going to burn more calories than other macros or other food just by the way it's built. And I realized the irony here talking about comp complex issues when originally I was saying uh, simplicity, but uh, that's the difference <laughs> between going one-on-one -on -one with the clients versus kind of a general topic. But uh, going back to that, the only other macro I count is, like I said, protein. And I try to aim for one gram of protein per pound of body weight. So if you're 150 pounds, you aim for 150 grams of protein. Realistically, for a lot of people, if you haven't been really conscious of your protein, that's going to be a really lofty goal. So uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be that high, but the higher you can get the protein, getting close to that number, the better. Uh, and then the carbs and the fat, personally, I would just kind of let them, as long as neither one of them is either way too high or way too low, kind of let them uh, distribute as needed. Some people, for whatever reason, tend to be more sensitive to carbs than others. You might know that this is yourself if um, you eat like a couple slices of pizza or a cake and suddenly you feel really bloated and you have all this water weight. If that's you and you know you don't respond really well to carbs, you can keep the carbs a little bit lower. Um, and when I say low carb, generally between 50 to 100 grams of carbs. And then just let the fats kind of fall somewhere else. As long as the fats aren't too low, I always aim for calories and protein. And then you can choose if you want lower carb higher carb, your call. Yeah, that's exactly what I said to my clients as well. And kind of going back to the calories, we'll kind of jump into another topic as well. So basically the calories, like another cool thing you can do as well is say, for example, let's say it's 1500 calories a day you have to have, you can kind of manipulate it throughout the week too, right? So you can have maybe 1800 one day, just the weekend, if you're having a little bit more, the next day you might drop it at 1200. So you can really kind of play around those calories as long as you're, uh, the calories kind of equal the same amount in those seven days. Would, would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, 100%. I think... What a lot of people assume is that every day it just resets. 
Um, and that's, it's not the case. Yeah. So what really matters is when we're talking about macros and calories, we're talking about a weekly average. And yeah, there's a lot of what we call weekend warriors who don't really understand this concept as well. So let's say you're really, really good Monday through Friday. You hit your calories, you hit your macros, and then you go a little bit off the, off the rails on the weekend. And your logic, your rationale behind this, I mean, it seems like good logic is that five good days versus two bad days. It's uh, I had a good week, but ultimately it really comes down to the overall energy balance throughout the week. And it's much easier to go over your caloric intake or caloric allowance than it is to go under. So it's very common to have those two days that offset the five good days. And like you said, if you have one day where you're uh, a lot higher than you, than you, you know, you should be, then the next day you just drop it down or next three days you use to drop it down. It's the weekly average that we're looking at here. Yep, very well said, 100% agreed. This kind of lead me now to um, something called crash dieting. So a lot of times, believe it or not, like fat loss is not really the hard part. It's kind of maintaining that fat loss over a long term. So can you maybe explain what a crash diet would be in terms of like a low calorie? And can you explain um, why it's so important to have, you know, not an aggressive caloric deficit? Because maybe some of the statistics we know, it's not very good if you go on those super crash diets. So maybe just explain what crash diets are and your views on them and why maybe you would or wouldn't recommend them. Yeah, bingo. That's pretty much accurate. I'd say there's probably a, a few different ways you can define crash dieting. For me, it's like you said, it's an aggressive game plan without a maintenance plan. And I think that without a maintenance plan is a really important thing to say because there are some people who do prefer to be more aggressive with their, their fat loss, not just necessarily strategically, but it's just a mental thing. So some people are able to moderate before they eliminate, which is ideal because it's more conservative and um, there are some metabolic benefits from doing that. But there are some people and myself, honestly, personally, I prefer to eliminate before I moderate as well. So I'll get into more of an aggressive uh, strategy before moderating because that's what works for me. I just don't have that moderate personality. But what's really important is that you can do that for a short period of time to kind of gain some momentum. But what's important is that you have a maintenance plan after. Because what I would define a crash diet as, as starting from relatively unhealthy with your nutrition plan to something really aggressive that gets you fast results to going back to where your unhealthy nutrition plan was. And you'll notice that your weight is going to go back to where it was, if not worse. And we call this yo-yo dieting. And yo-yo dieting is one of the worst things that you can do for yourself because when we think of fat loss, we usually think of fat cells that are either we're getting more fat cells or less fat cells, but the number of fat cells generally doesn't really change. The fat cells, when you lose weight, they shrink. And then as you gain weight, they increase in size. Now studies show that there are two different exceptions to this rule. The first study or the first rule, I guess I should, I should say, isn't overly surprising. It's if you are morbidly obese, if you have uh, a really high percent of body fat, your body eventually will get to a point where it starts to create new fat cells. Obviously not a good thing. The second example, which is a lot more shocking, is if you perpetually lose and gain weight and yo-yo up and down. Really, really tough on your body here, really tough on your nervous system and your entire metabolic system. So that would be the second example where you're not just increasing the fat cell uh, size, but the number of fat cells. So it's a very alarming statistic and you want to try to moderate and be as conservative as possible when it comes to your strategies but more importantly you want to make sure you have a strategy after your original strategy which is why maintenance is so important so the crash diet in terms of the aggressive strategy originally 
although not ideal, is not the end of the world. You just don't want to go from super aggressive to bouncing back to where you were originally. And that's the, the danger and the drawbacks of doing these very common crash diets. Yeah, 100% makes sense. And I don't know if you know the quote by Lane Norton at the top of your head, but it's something I think it's like 95% of people who go on that yo-yo or crash diet end up getting the weight back plus more. Is it two, three years down the road? I don't know if you know the quote exactly in your head, but it's something crazy like that where people really go on that crash diet and they just gain that weight back and just a lot of people can't sustain that fat loss. In the yeah, well, the problem with that is eventually what happens is it's called metabolic adaptation. So as you lose weight, your body yeah. loses slows down its metabolic rate, requires fewer and fewer calories, which is normal. But when you do that really aggressively, your body disproportionately slows down its metabolic rate in order to compensate. It sees this as a survival threat. So once you bounce back up to your original weight, you would think that your metabolism goes back up to where it was before, but it doesn't. It actually goes down lower. So it makes it harder and harder to lose weight and it becomes this really aggressive negative feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. That's perfectly said right there. Okay, let's get into some nutrition myths or maybe nutrition myths. And let's get a few questions for you that uh, a few of the audience had for you on Instagram. So first off, um, let's talk about how many meals you should have in a day. Does it make any difference at all if I have two, three, four, five meals, one meal per day? Or is it just uh, all about just those calories? There's a lot of inconclusive data about this. And at the end of the day, if there is a difference, it's almost negligible so it really doesn't matter what is important is that you find a routine that works well for you so having the consistency with your routine is actually more important than how many meals you're having throughout the day and it's like you said what ultimately matters is the calories throughout the day and the weekly calories so whether you're having two meals a day or five meals a day the whole eat five to six times a day because it stokes your metabolism thing has really been debunked so yeah, I don't think people should stress too much about that, but I think people should really focus on finding a routine if they can, meaning ideally eating at the same time or similar time and the same number of meals most days. That's going to be really good for your hormones and your circadian rhythms as well. So don't worry too much about the timing of your, when you're eating or how many meals you're having. Just focus on the quality of the food and the quantity of the food at the end of the day. Yeah, and that, that's what I, I think everyone too is different, like you said. Like some people prefer, I think that's where kind of intermittent fasting kind of gets out of the bad rap or a good rap because like some people will swear about it, you have to do it or some people you shouldn't do it all. Like for me, I can't intermittent fast. You know what I mean? I have like four or five meals a day spread out. Where you, I believe you intermittent fast. Is it every day? Yeah, every day, day usually between like 18 to 20 hours a day. And I like it. Like I feel better doing that. Yeah, yeah there, that's two prime examples right there where um, obviously um, – Sean's in really good shape. I'm in shape. And we just have different strategies that make it work. So just in terms of how many meals you have in a day, I think Sean's hit it perfect there. It uh, doesn't really matter. You just want to focus more on the overall calories. Uh, moving on. So still talking about calories. I know you kind of touched about this, kind of previously mixed in together all in the episode. But let's say, for example, it's 1,500 calories you're having per day. Is it only calories that matter in that 1,500 or should I focus more on the quality or is it both? So what would be, what would be your it's opinion both. on that? If your goal is fat loss, quantity is more important, but quality will set up a more favorable calorie or energy balance for you. Meaning if you have foods yeah. and vitamins and minerals that are good for you, that kind of help your hormones and help your metabolic system, then what's going to happen is you're actually going to end up, we talk about calories in versus calories out, if you're having high quality foods, that calories out number 
There's a ton of compl complexes that will determine this and kind of affect it, but that calories out number will likely increase. So it's not like it's a huge difference. It's still the same equation that we had before, but calories, it's not just the number of calories, but it's the, the quality of the calories as well. So I talked about this before as well with protein. It has a high, higher TEF, thermic effect of, of feeding, right? So it, it causes you to burn more calories just by digesting it. But not only that, when we talk about like everyone knows green leafy vegetables, one of the healthiest things you can have, not just the vitamins and the minerals and the nutrients that you're having, but it's so low calorie that you can eat so much of them, get full and still keep under your, your caloric surplus. So the problem with a lot of these empty calories, which are just foods that have calories, but not any sort of like nutrition benefit is they leave you feel full or they leave you feel hungry and you want to eat again right away without really getting those benefits that are going to help your, uh, your overall metabolic rate as well. So again, we want to try to simplify this as much as possible. What you're saying is, okay, it's important, but like, how does that affect me? What does that mean? I like to try to keep things as simple as possible. So we tried to talk about this before when it comes to our goals and setting actionable steps that are, like you said, binary. Yes, no, did I do it? Uh, this can be a, some, something as simple as we know green leafy vegetables are really healthy. We know protein is really healthy. So one of the things I read from a book, and I apologize for the insensitivity to all the vegetarians and vegans out there, but it's the, it's the, the name green face. So if every meal has something that is green, so a green leafy vegetable or a protein that comes from an animal, the face, and it's just an easy rule to remember when it comes to overall quality from your calories. So it's just making sure that you get your protein and your vegetables with every meal. And uh, it does make a big difference. Absolutely. It's not the most important thing. At the end of the day, quantity is the most important thing, but quality definitely plays a role. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Cause like, I think we always see sometimes, right? Like this person lost uh, whatever amount of weight, just eating ice cream uh, every single day uh, for however, however long. That's like a very short-term thing. It's like the guy probably has some serious mental toughness kind of pushing through. It's almost unsustainable to do that for the long-term. So I think like you said, quality and quantity is the best bet kind of going forward in terms of long-term fat loss success. Okay, let's get into a couple questions just to kind of wrap up here. So we have a couple questions for you from Instagram. And it's a good question here. And the question is, what are some breakfast options that have good protein? And is it healthy to eat eggs most days? Well, you're asking the guy who doesn't eat breakfast. So I uh, might not be the best person to ask here. But <laughs> yeah, you want to try to get as much, uh, like I said, protein and veggies with every meal is a really, really good strategy for almost everyone. Uh, eggs, I eat almost every day, even though I don't eat breakfast. I like to eat eggs for lunch and weird, or and dinner. That weird, the eggs for dinner thing is weird. It doesn't apply to me because I, I eat uh, eggs all the time. If you're worried about the... Uh, the calories from eggs, what you can do is kind of do a combination between uh, whole eggs, but also the egg whites as well. The only exception would be if you've been to a doctor and they recommend that you don't go too crazy with the eggs. But you also have to keep in mind that when people talk about eggs being high in cholesterol, there's two types of cholesterol, HDL and LDL. LDL is the quote unquote bad cholesterol. HDL is the good cholesterol. Uh, eggs actually tend to have in some slash most cases a positive effect on the good cholesterol and a positive effect on the bad cholesterol making eggs a very healthy choice for the vast majority of people um, other choices the old protein shake you can't go wrong get some whey protein toss up some fruit and some water it's a great start uh, cottage cheese uh, yogurt greek yogurt especially there's a few good 
even if you if you like bacon, instead of having regular bacon, you can go turkey bacon. So those type of options are always a good idea as well. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's it's more the the back bacon, turkey bacon for myself as well. And uh, let's just, let's kind of finish off with more. Uh, I left I left, I left this till last. It's a bit of more of an advanced question. So. What what is your what about carb cycling? Can you explain what carb cycling is? And I think a lot of people kind of hear that term; they kind of get confused. So maybe kind of break down what carb cycling is and what are your views on them. It's obviously a more advanced topic, but I'd like to hear your yeah. Views so and first, just like them. a rough idea of what carb cycling is, it's a strategic manipulation of carbs to achieve a specific goal. So usually these goals are either performance based or uh, physique based. Now, we talked earlier about finding the linchpin, the things that are the most important versus least important. So this would be what we call like a micro lever. So it, it matters. It makes a difference. But if your calories aren't in check and your macros are all over the place and your food quality sucks, then obviously carb cycling isn't going to play a role. But if you have everything on point, you kind of want to take your nutrition to the next level, then carb cycling can actually play a pretty big role. And there's a few different ways you can do carb cycling. So some people will do it, like a lot of athletes will do like mesocycles. So when they're really active with a sport, they'll have a lot more carbs during those times. Uh, but most people are going to do it either day to day or throughout the day. So for instance, if you're doing it, like if you're looking at a week, uh, a strategic carb cycle would be higher carbs on days where you're training more, more intense, lifting heavy, going faster, whatever it is, because that way your carbs are being used strategically for energy and then you would go lower carbs on rest days or lower activity days and then you could even look at it throughout a given day so carbs are best utilized and most efficient before and after workouts because like i said before carbs are essentially the the fuel or the primary and preferred source of fuel when we work out so it's good before a workout for those who like that because it gives you that energy and the fuel it's good after a workout because that's when our body is most insulin sensitive. You don't have to understand what this means, but ultimately what happens when you eat carbs after a workout is when your body breaks down the carbs into glucose, which is sugar, your body's able to more effectively and efficiently distribute that glucose to the muscle tissue, to the brain a lot easier and faster than other times of the day. So that's just when you're your body's most insulin sensitive and able to really uh, use up that carbohydrate stores rather than store it. It's a small difference. It's not the end of the world. Like I said, it's not going to be that one thing. If you ignore everything else, that's going to change everything. But if you have everything dialed in carb cycling, either uh, on a daily thing or throughout the week can actually make quite a big difference. If you're a high performing athlete or really just looking to get your body fat percentage down to a, an impressively low level, we'll say. Uh, I was going to wrap up there, but you kind of led me to a, a point, another question I want to ask you, and you kind of touched on insulin sensitivity. So uh, in terms of the keto diet, right, we've heard this so many times. I get so many questions. What about the keto diet? How's the keto diet? I should do the keto diet. It's, it's the best thing out there. What would you say to people in terms of like, I want the keto diet is the best thing. Maybe share your opinion. Cool. What would you so, say to yeah, the individual? Remember, the first thing that I would do is I would, I would educate. This person's looking to lose body fat, start talking about calorie deficit and hopefully their next question is going to be what role does the keto diet have in that calorie deficit and that would be the right question to ask because the reason the keto diet works is that it is it's a very restrictive diet and there's a lot of foods that are are banned that you're not able to have you're not allowed to have uh, and these foods tend to be really high in calories high in fat and low satiety so by eliminating those food naturally you're going to have 
most likely a lower daily caloric intake. So your calories are going to be lower. When your calories are lower, you're probably going to be in a deficit. When you're in a deficit, we know you're going to lose weight. The idea behind the whole keto diet is that if you keep your carbs low enough and your fat high enough, that you'll start to use ketones as energy and as a way to, uh, to burn body fat rather than carbs and fat. And um, that might be an additional benefit to it. There's nothing magical about the keto diet. The main, I guess, argument for the keto diet is how effective it is when it comes to fat loss. And that's exactly what I was talking about before. It's effective because the diet itself isn't necessarily magical. It's because it's really easy to get into a calorie deficit when you have those really restricted can versus cannot eat. Also, the problem, the argument against the keto diet is that it's notoriously unsustainable. So we talked about crash dieting and yo-yo dieting from doing a typical Canadian diet into a keto diet and then going back to a Canadian diet is the exact thing that we're trying to avoid. So keto may be great if you're able to sustain it, but that has to be part of your maintenance plan as well. Keto is terrible if you're not able to sustain it, you're going to bounce back. So it ultimately comes down to what I said before is it depends. There's nothing great about keto. There's nothing bad about keto. It's a strategy that works really well for some people. And it's a strategy that backfires for other people. So when you look at the keto diet, make sure you're really honest with yourself. When you look at what the rules, the regulations, the constraints, is this something that you think that you're actually able to stick to? Because I don't want you to do this for, you know, three, four weeks and then go back to what you're doing before. Because as we talked about earlier, that's going to do more harm than good. So it's the same thing as crash dieting. If you don't have client compliance, it's a really effective fat loss strategy if you do have compliance. That's perfectly said, yeah. I know keto diet's not exactly for me. I'm more of the carb type of thing. So yeah, that's exactly what it comes down. Just personal preference, just whatever foods you can kind of do to fit your lifestyle that kind of fit in that caloric deficit. That's basically it for today's podcast. Um, you can find Sean at Breakthrough Bootcamp on Instagram or Breakthrough Bootcamp on Facebook. Again, this man's a wizard, nutrition, fitness, everything you name it, the health and fitness industry. Uh, thank you, Sean, for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. And uh, we'll, we'll have to get you in the yes, podcast sir. Thanks, uh, Rich. coming up next time. No problem. That's the podcast today, guys. If you have any questions for Sean or for me, uh, you can find me at Arbeck One on Instagram or Rich Fit Training on Facebook and obviously Breakthrough Bootcamp, as I mentioned before. Thanks, everyone. Until next time.